about rest and what that means for us. Um, and we could spend actually a couple weeks just going through Psalm 23 and all the different parts of that, and I think they're all really important and great. Um, but I just want to highlight the one part, sort of in the middle, which is, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I always thought that was a neat passage, but I hadn't really studied it. I hadn't really looked at it until a few years back um, when I realized what David is actually saying there. So in the presence of my enemies, that, that means he's, he is surrounded by enemies right now. Okay? So he is full of enemies. They're everywhere. He's surrounded by enemies. And when you're talking about King David being surrounded by enemies, it's literal. Like he's, he's in a battle right now. He's on the battlefield, and there's guys all around him with swords and spears, and they're trying to kill him. That's what in the presence of my enemies means for a warrior king like David. Now, that sounds like an inherently stressful situation, right? Surrounded by a bunch of dudes trying to kill you. That's not cool. But what does David say? That in the midst of that circumstance, what does he say? You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So set a table means like food, lunch. So David is going to chill out with God and eat lunch, despite the fact that he's surrounded by enemies. And that's what peace does for us. And, and in the Old Testament context, we're talking about lying down and eating. So David's literally like this. Because they would lie, recline on one arm, and they'd eat with the other arm. And this is just how they ate. It was a low table, and they, it, meals usually lasted hours. Okay? So David is surrounded by guys who are actively trying to murder him. It doesn't get more stressful than that, in my opinion. Okay? It doesn't get more stressful than that. And what is he doing? He is literally reclining, hanging out with God, having lunch. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think that's a powerful picture of what peace is about and what we're talking about today, which is learning to transcend our circumstances. Our circumstances do not dictate our experience in this life. Our response to those circumstances is what dictates our experience. And David's response to that difficult experience of being surrounded, that difficult circumstance of being surrounded by enemies was to turn to God and to practice peace and practice the presence of the Lord. And even in the midst of something horrible, David was able to experience something beautiful. And that's an example to all of us. Because no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in in life, we can experience something beautiful in the middle of that because we're with God. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Because that's just life. That's just the way life is. Life is trouble. <laughs> and every day's got its own. And some days have more and some days have less and some years have big ones. Life has trouble, okay? He said, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So in this world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. Be happy. Our, our attitude, our baseline is supposed to be good cheer, joy, even in the midst of trouble. In this world, you'll have trouble, but be joyful anyway. Why? Because I've overcome the world. So Jesus makes a way for us not to have to be controlled by our circumstances. Our circumstances don't dictate how we feel. But the reality is most of us don't live that way. I think many of us here live that way, <laughs> but, but I, most Christians don't. They live just like the world lives. They live like anybody else lives. And if you ask them, how are you doing today? The response will be, well, this is going wrong and that's going wrong. Therefore, I'm not doing well. Or the response will be, yeah, things are great. We went to the beach yesterday and it was so fun and we did this. And so they, they will respond by saying, here are my circumstances and therefore here's how I'm doing. 
You get what I'm saying? That's how most people respond. That's how most people live their lives. But Jesus is saying we're not supposed to live our lives that way. We're not supposed to say, because I don't feel well, I'm having a bad experience of life right now. Or because, <coughs> excuse me, we've been talking about money the last few weeks. Because I'm in the middle of a money test or a money crisis and I don't have enough money to do what it is I need to do, because of that, I'm super stressed and I'm miserable and I'm really worried. No, that's not how we're supposed to live. I'm not saying we lie about our circumstances or pretend they're not negative <laughs> or difficult. Because sometimes our circumstances are difficult. Like if, you don't, if your school is starting in a few weeks and you don't have enough money to buy clothes for your kids, that's rough. And so we're not pretending that's not hard. We're not pretending that's not rough. We're not lying to ourselves. But we're saying that even in the midst of that difficult circumstance, I'm not going to let that dictate my life emotionally and how I respond. Because that's my choice. And David, in Psalm 23, continually talks about difficulties, but how he keeps making the right choice, which is to turn to God, to turn to God, to turn to God, and to experience his presence and experience his peace, instead of experience, experiencing what he could be experiencing in those moments. When you're surrounded by your enemies, you could be experiencing extreme fear, and wetting yourself, and wanting to run, and crying out, God, God, where are you? I'm going to be murdered. Come and save me. There's a lot of things that you could be saying, and David's not doing any of those things in that moment because he's at peace. And that's what God allows us to do. He gives us that peace so that we don't have to um, live in such a way that we allow our circumstances to control how we feel and what we do in life. Everybody with me? Um, and I just thought last night at 4 in the morning about something else, which was... What we're talking about is really the gift of self-control, the fruit of the spirit of self-control. And we think of self-control in the sense of controlling ourselves to not sin, like saying no to temptation, right? That's usually how we think of self-control. The, the other people in my office or, or, or at work or whatever are making fun of this person, and I'm not going to join in on that and laugh at those things. I'm going to choose not to do that, and that's exercising self-control. And it is. That's one type of self-control, saying no to sin. But I think another type of self-control is understanding that you are in control of yourself. You are in control of your emotions, of your thoughts, of your actions. And I think the more you grow in the fruit of self-control, the more that fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in your life, the more control you can exert over your own emotions and thoughts. Actions are easier to see. It's easy to see how you have control over your own actions. You just make a choice, right? But sometimes thoughts and emotions are tougher. We're like, well, I can't help but feel this way, or this thought just came into my head. But I really think that the more we allow the fruit of self-control to grow in our life, the more control over ourselves we have in those areas. Um, but I'll work that out over the next few months, and we'll preach on it later. But it was just a thought I had last night. Because what we're talking about tonight is choosing how to respond to situations properly. Because when situations are tough or difficult, we can make a good choice and respond well, or we can make a bad choice and respond not so well. Um, anybody have any questions so far? So we've been talking about money, and we've talked about how God often tests us with money. And Jesus has a lot to say on this in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and you can go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus gives what sounds like a really nice and sweet message, but is actually a really difficult sermon to receive if you take him at his word here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but starting with verse 25 of Matthew 6, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Whoa, stop right there. Do not be anxious about your life. Name me one person who's never anxious about their life. We, we all get anxious. We all worry. He goes on here, and he, he, he lists thing after thing. Don't worry. Do not worry about your life. Don't be anxious about your life, period. That's a hard sermon to receive because he's asking us to do something really difficult. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry. Well, is that even possible? Obviously, it's possible because Jesus is telling us to do this, okay? He's telling us to make a choice, and he's talking about money specifically. People have a lack, and he's saying, if you have a lack of money, don't worry. Trust in God to provide for you. And so worry is the opposite of trust, okay? So on the one hand, you have trust in God. You have belief that Jesus is going to do what he said, which is to provide for us. On the other hand, we have a lack of trust, which is worry. So worry is evidence of a lack of trust. And Hebrews really fleshes this out a lot in, uh, in regards to what faith is and what the lack of faith is. And worry is a lack of faith. It's unbelief in something. So in other words, if we're worried about money, then that is evidence that we don't trust God enough in our life in the area of money. People don't like to hear that. This is a hard sermon that Jesus gives here by saying, don't worry. Don't do that. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about provision. Don't worry about the clothes you need to buy for your kids in a few weeks. But Jesus, I don't have the money to do it. I don't have the money to buy the clothes. You don't understand. And Jesus is like, yeah, I totally understand. And I'm telling you, choose not to worry. Choose not to be anxious about your life. It's a choice that you can make. You can't stop the situation. The situation is you don't have enough money right now. <laughs> That's the situation. And it might be an inherently anxious-filled and stress-filled and worrisome situation. We can't stop the situations from happening. Remember, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. Anyway, okay? So we can't stop the circumstance, but we can choose to say yes or no to what that circumstance brings us internally. So a circumstance shows up. You don't have enough money, and the circumstance says, here's a bunch of anxiety that you should probably take and put in your heart because this is an anxious situation. And we have a choice. Do we take that and say, yes, this is an anxious situation, shove it in our heart and say, there it is. There's my anxiety about this situation. That's what we tend to do. That's actually the natural tendency. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Say no to that. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Choose not to take that. You can't choose the trouble. You can't stop the trouble. But you can stop responding badly to the trouble. And it is a bad response. This, this is actually a big deal. It's not a little deal of your life will go a little bit better if you make the right choice. Yay. No, this is actually a huge problem. Because if worry is unbelief, that means it's sin. Romans 14 says anything that does not come of faith is sin. And so obviously worry, worrying about money and worrying about life and being anxious about life is a sin because Jesus right here tells us don't do that. So that's disobedience. So if, we, if we're anxious, we're disobeying Jesus. So obviously it's a sin, but I'm explaining why it's a sin. Anxiety, fear, stress, worry, getting just really stressed out, frustrated. Those are sinful responses because they come out of a lack of trust. And the degree to which you're worried about a situation is the degree to which you don't trust Jesus as Lord of your life in that situation. This is, this is hard to hear. I'm not trying to be condemning, okay? No condemnation this morning. And we're all probably doing pretty well in most of these areas. But we can always grow, right? We can always grow. 
what I have found is that oftentimes people are really good at this kind of thing in most areas of their life, but maybe there's one area that they just let themselves get stressed out for some reason. They choose worry for some reason in this one area. And it's often the area of money for a lot of people, but sometimes it's different areas. Um, and so whether we're talking about money or whatever else, we're not supposed to respond by worrying. So if we do, it's a sin because it's evidence of unbelief. Because Jesus says he will take care of us. I will provide for you. Okay? He says that right here in this passage. And so then, if we believe that, if we believe what Jesus is saying, then we won't be worried. Why would we be worried if we believe Jesus, who says he'll provide for me? Well, he's going to provide for me. Why should I worry? I trust him. And so we have calm, and we have happiness, and we have peace, and we have joy. And we are of good cheer, because Jesus has overcome the world. But if we are like, honestly, I kind of don't believe Jesus is going to do what he said. I think Jesus will do that for some people, but maybe not me. Or maybe Jesus will do it sometimes, but maybe not in this situation, because it's too big, or it's my own fault, or whatever excuse we want to throw in there. And so we don't believe. Unbelief. It's a huge problem. And in Hebrews, um, the author, Paul, or whoever wrote it, Luke, I think, um, is talking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Okay? So the Israelites are in Egypt. God brings them out with the most incredible miracles in the history of the world, and it's really, really awesome. And he says, now you're going to learn how to trust me. And then we're going to the promised land. And you are all coming to the promised land. It's really exciting stuff. How many of them made it to the promised land? Out of millions, two people made it. Two dudes, Joshua and Caleb, both the names of my nephews, Matt's. Uh, Matt's children, Joshua and Caleb, the only two that make it into the promised land. Why? Because they believed what God said. Evidenced by the fact that they did not worry and complain. The rest of the Israelites didn't believe what God said. God said, I will take care of you, and they didn't really believe it. Despite all the, just, all the miracles they just saw, it's amazing, they still did not believe it. And therefore, they worried and they complained all the time. And it was credited to them as unbelief, lack of faith. And so what happened? Because they didn't believe and they worried and they complained, they all died in the wilderness. This is serious stuff. The stakes are really big for this, okay? Choosing not to worry and not to be stressed out and instead live in peace is very high stakes. It is literally the difference between you fulfilling your destiny in Christ and not fulfilling your destiny in Christ. It is that big of a deal. If we don't learn how to walk in peace and instead are living sinfully in our choices by constantly responding negatively to situations and living that sinful lifestyle, we're never going to experience all of the blessings and all of the joy and all of the favor that God wants to give us because we're taking ourselves out of the will of God. Okay? This air conditioner is the will of God, literally, but also in this analogy. So this, this is the will of God. If I stand right here... I am getting all of the blessings that, God, that Jesus already paid for me for on the cross. Everything we have in Christ is already done. It's past tense, right? All the blessings we will ever get have already been poured out by God. But in order to receive those blessings, I need to stand in his will. I need to put myself in the right spot. Okay? This is living in peace. This is what uh, Paul calls walking by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so when I stand here, I am receiving all of the wonderful blessings of this cold air and of God's 
blessings in my life, his favor, his will, and all those good things, okay? They're always mine, and they're always there, and they're always coming through the cross and what Jesus did. But if I choose to step over here, am I now receiving all of the blessing that God is trying to give me? No. There's a tiny bit of it, maybe rubbing up against me, but I have chosen to take myself out of the way. <laughs> I have positioned myself improperly, so I'm no longer receiving the blessing that God has for me. I haven't lost my salvation. Jesus still loves me. All this kind of stuff. But this is what our bad choices do, is we choose to step out of what it is God has for us and the best that God has for us. And so when we choose to worry and be anxious about the circumstances that come, again, we can't control the circumstances, but we control what we choose to do and how we choose to respond to those circumstances. And if we keep making the bad choices, we're stepping out of where God wants us to be. And we are living a miserable life and saying, oh, God, why aren't you helping me? My situation is so terrible. I am so full of stress, and I am so angry all the time, and I am so this, and I am so that, and we're begging God to help us. And God is like, I gave you all the help you need. You have peace, and you have the ability to choose the right thing, and you're choosing the wrong thing. Like, what am I supposed to do about that? God can't help us. He's not going to show up and make everything better because we've already made all the bad choices. Now, we can repent and get out of that, and we're going to talk about that later. Um, but this is the situation, I think, that many Christians find themselves in often, is our heart is full of sorrow and stress and worry and anxiety, and we're begging God to come and help us and come and fix us, when in reality, all those things are there because we chose to put them there. Uh, open up to John, John chapter 14. Uh, no, you can, yeah. Go ahead. Real loud. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yep. 
think that's a really brilliant observation in multiple ways. And, and you mentioned the multiple things, but like, it's a good observation because when Jesus says, I give you my peace, he says, not as the world gives. We're about to read that. Not as the world gives. And so he's setting up a kingdom that's not as the world's kingdom. Kingdoms of the world rule by fear. Having big armies, taxing people to oblivion, keeping them under your boot heel. God is the opposite of all of those things. His kingdom is so different. It's not like the world gives. But all, exactly, that's his kingdom. And he doesn't want us... Yes, and he doesn't want us to experience those things. And as we seek him first and his kingdom first, we do get to experience a lack of anxiety in all the things that, he, that he's saying. And also, it, it reiterates the point that um, when we do choose to worry or choose to be stressed, that is an affront to his sovereignty. Because he is king, and his will is that we don't be anxious. And so when we choose that, we choose something other than the kingdom, if that makes sense. We're choosing something else. And, and the, the rub, and you, you touched on this too, is that it's a lot easier said than done. Um, and most of the time, we don't even realize we're doing this. And that, that's the real difficulty here, is that most people I've talked I talk to about this, and they're like, but I, I'm not choosing to respond with worry. This is a worrying situation. How, how can I not help but worry? And the problem is we've, we've chosen the wrong thing so many times that we've created a bad habit. And now we react to things. We hardly choose at all. We just react negatively because we've done it so long, it creates a habitual pattern of negative reaction to stuff. And most of us find ourselves in those habits all the time. And we respond to certain people in certain ways because we've made ourselves um, be used to that. Yeah. Right. Right. We don't have to make the good stuff happen on our own. God will do that, but we have to make the choice to at least move in that direction. But when you choose, then it's never the inside. Yep. His choice affected everyone. Good and bad. <laughs> so true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
Yep. And that's the right choice to make. Yep. Yeah, real loud. It, it is. This is not easy, for sure. Yep. Yep. He will. He absolutely will. And it does take work. It takes retraining. And, and I think that's why the Bible says, don't be conformed. Don't pattern yourself after the patterns of this world. And the patterns of this world is, all, is always, always negative response. A worrisome situation comes, you grab that worry and you stick it in. A stressful situation comes, you just grab that stress and you stick it in. Someone says something to you that's really, really mean, you get upset or offended or angry or whatever the response is. You, have, you choose those negative responses. That's the pattern of this world. It happens all the time. And the Bible says, don't conform your life that way but be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. The mindset that we have and the habits that we have formed, they live up here and we need to be transformed. We need to be changed. We need to allow the spirit to change the way we think and the way we respond to situations. And it's not easy. It takes, I'm afraid, a little bit of work. <laughs> and if we find ourselves, if we realize that we're in a habitual pattern of negative response in some area, it's like, whoa, and it, it takes some hard work to get out of that. I know from experience, okay? Um, exactly. So you make the choice, and then you surrender. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In some senses, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or legalism, yeah. Yeah, I, it can be very hard, absolutely. And I certainly do respect that. For sure. Yep. All those choices affect everything. Absolutely. And that's why I think the words of Jesus here, John 14, 27, is so important because he starts out from a place of love and of peace, and of wanting to bring us into that experience, because he knows that that's not our normal experience. We're not experiencing peace. We're not experiencing joy. We're not experiencing the be of good cheer. That's not our normal experience. And Jesus wants us to enter into that experience. And that's why he says here, John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Okay, my peace I give you. Jesus' peace is pretty strong. 
This is the peace that allowed him on the cross while being tortured and murdered to say, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. That's a lot of peace. Okay? That's choosing not to respond to the horrible things that are happening to him. He's choosing not to respond negatively, but respond in surrender to the Holy Spirit. And say, God, I'm not going to get angry at this guy who just stabbed me with a spear. How do you not get angry at a guy who just stabbed you with a spear? Because you are so surrendered to the Spirit of God in your life. And you are so encapsulated by his peace that Jesus was able to say, forgive him, this other person who did this horrible thing. That's the peace Jesus had. The same peace that said to the storm, be still. He walked up there and he said, be still. Peace. He spoke his peace. He literally said the word peace. Shalom. To the storm. And the storm stopped. Okay, so Jesus' peace is powerful. It's really strong. And this is the peace that he's giving us here. In John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So we have access to that. And it's incredible. How do we walk in that peace, Jesus? How do we actually live it out? We have it. It's a gift, so we have it through the cross. If we have received the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, then we have access to this peace. Because we have the Spirit of God living in us, and the Spirit of God is peace. So peace is right inside us at all times. But how do we see it? How do we feel it? How do we walk it out? How do we actually experience it? How do we, how do we make these right choices? Right. How do we make these right choices? And he says it right here. My peace I give you, do not allow your hearts to be troubled. And neither let them be afraid. That's the how. The how is, don't allow your heart to be troubled. A situation comes that is inherently troubling, and it says, here's a bunch of trouble. Take this and put it into your heart, and you do not allow that. You want to walk in your peace? My peace I give you. How do you do that? Do not allow your heart to be troubled. Say no. And then submit to the Holy Spirit within you and say, I am being pressed right now by this trouble, and I need you, Holy Spirit, to move out in peace in me because I can't do it on my own. And so the way to do that, the way to walk in peace, is to don't allow your heart to be troubled. It sounds too simple. It sounds too simple, but this is the key. It's it. What's that? Yeah. Exactly. Because peace is from the Holy Spirit. It is from God. And the Spirit is within us. And so as we submit to the Spirit within us and allow that peace to come forth, now, like, let's say we're in a situation, like, let's pick a real one. So we, our house was destroyed by hail last year, and We've been really fighting with the insurance company over covering some of the things they need to cover, and it's very unjust. And I've been very tempted to respond negatively to some of these things and may or may not have had fantasies about ruining people's life um, because they've been really terrible to me, may or may not. And so, so negative responses, right? Um, now, that situation exists today. It's existed for over a year. It'll probably still exist tomorrow. I doubt I'll get a phone call on Sunday saying it's all resolved. Um, and so today I choose to not allow my heart to be troubled by that. And it's been a challenge all year. But right now I'm in a good place. And I've surrendered it to God and I've given it to him. Um, but tomorrow I need to make that choice again. Because the situation will still be there. And it's still offering all its annoyance at me. 
And so I have to make that choice tomorrow. But if I have chosen to allow the spirit to move in peace in my life today, then tomorrow that choice will be much easier because I'm already full of peace. Colossians, it says, let the peace of Christ guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let the peace of God guard your hearts and your minds. Peace, as we allow ourselves to be filled with the peace of the Spirit, the peace of God guards us. It's like a shield. When we're walking in peace, it's like it puts up a big shield. I think of like Star Trek shields, like, you know, surrounded by like a force field, okay? That's the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is a force field around you so that when tomorrow's choice comes, it's a lot easier to make. And what if the day after tomorrow, something really terrible happens? And it's one of those big, big deals in my life. If I'm already filled with the peace of God, if my shields are up, when I get hit by that torpedo, it's not going to do as much damage. That, sh that shield of peace is going to help protect my heart and help me make the right choice to surrender myself more to that peace because I'm already full of that peace. But if we don't learn how to walk in peace in the little things day to day, then we're not going to be able to walk in peace when that big stuff comes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yep. That's exactly true. And it can become a stronghold even in our life. And so at some point, God will come to us and say, I understand why that wall went up, but it's time to take that thing down. What do you say? And in my experience, personal experience as well as in dealing with other people, he tends to do that very gently and says, what do you think? Maybe let's just drill a tiny hole in it, just a tiny hole so some of my light can come through that wall into that part of your soul. And if that, if that light feels good and maybe starts to help something grow on the other side, have you ever seen a small plant try to grow through something hard like a cement wall or a brick wall? I've seen plants destroy bricks. How could a tiny little plant destroy a brick wall? It's life. Life can destroy all the walls we put up. And when God speaks his words of life into us, it can destroy anything that we have put up. But God's not going to come in with a wrecking ball because we put that thing up. But he will absolutely partner with us to help us tear it down. Because it's true that it went up because of a defense. We need to protect ourselves. That's why it went up. And it often didn't go up because we decided, I'm going to build a wall to protect myself from further harm. No, it's like, it's, it's something our brains do, right? It's just, it happens. Um, but we do have to actively partner with God in taking it down, and he will do that. Did you have something, Steve? Okay. Yes. That's good. Um, mourning is, is a different thing than what I'm talking about, I think. Um, and because I wouldn't consider mourning to be a negative response. Mourning is an appropriate response. Sorrow can be an appropriate response. Having your heart broken over someone who's not walking with the Lord or who's violently ill or something like that, that's, that's not a negative response. That's, that's, a, that's a proper response. God's heart breaks over the same things. God mourns with those who mourn. God can't sin. Right? And so if he mourns with those who mourn, mourning can't be a sin. Um, now, we can allow that, though, to take over our lives 
um, and allow it to, to take us to a negative place, to a bad place. Um, but when, we're, when you're in the midst of, of a horrible situation and you're mourning, um, you don't need to get your theology all figured out. You know, you just need to bring people around you to love you, and you need to submit yourself to God and allow him to carry you through to the point where it's like, okay, now you can stand back up again. Now let's, now let's work on walking in the right direction. Once you start walking, you'll be like, okay. And, and, and so he takes us step by step. But there, there are not all things that we might think of as negative or, or what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about um, responding to situations or circumstances negatively. In, a, in other words, any choice that isn't peace in the Holy Spirit is responding. So worry, fear, anxiety, stress, anger, being upset. Upset is a Midwestern term for a generic term for I, I don't like what's happening now, so I don't feel right. Okay? Ooh, that makes me so upset. Um, and I, let, me, let me share a personal story. Okay, so Jesus says, my peace I give to you. How do we walk in that peace? We don't allow our heart to be troubled. It's really simplistic, but it, but it starts that simple by saying, no, I'm not going to take the worry. I'm not going to take the stress. I'm going to go, I'm going to turn to God instead of turning to this and responding to this. I'm going to turn to God. Um, this is a, sort of a vulnerable story, so be kind. But um, about three years into our marriage, and I found myself in a place where I was vehemently annoyed at almost anything my wife would say. Just about any time she would say, so Nate, and bring up a topic or something like that, I would respond negatively. I'd be upset almost right away. Annoyed would be the right term. I was just annoyed with her all the time. And I blamed her for this. She was annoying me. And so I was annoyed. That's when something is annoying, you become annoyed, right? Well, no, I have self-control. I control my emotions. I control my responses. Well, that's not how I was living, though. So I'm in this place, and I'm sitting in my room, and I'm sort of stewing. You know how you stew when you're mad at somebody, and you're just, yeah, and you think terrible thoughts. You have all these unpure thoughts about the person and how they're probably doing this. In fact, they, they, they're intentionally trying to make me upset. She knows better. She's, you know, and all these things are going through my head. Terrible. She's laughing in the back. Um, and so I'm, I'm stewing, okay? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is just so awful. What am I going to do about this? And I hear a voice in my head. But it's not the voice of God. It's the voice of my mom. And my mom, this is my mom, my mom's voice in my head says, no one makes you upset. You choose to be upset. And this is what she would say to my brother and I anytime we were fighting, okay? Because my, my little brother, I'm the oldest, my little brother would, as only a little sibling can do, he would find ways to really annoy me, okay? And intentionally. <laughs> um, he thought it was really, really fun when Nate got in trouble. Um, and so he would intentionally do stuff. I'm not saying he was innocent and it was all me being bad. But my responses were negative. And so I, oh, but he makes you so mad. No one makes you mad. You choose to be mad. No one has the power to make you mad. You belong to Jesus. He has overcome the world. No one has the power over you to make you mad. You chose to be mad. You chose to be upset. That's what she would say every time. No one makes you upset, you choose to be upset. And whenever she would say that, I would choose to be upset at her now as well as my brother. Because that's how a child thinks. And that's how a child responds. But we are supposed to grow up. We are supposed to mature eventually and stop making those kind of childlike decisions, right? Um, 
And so here I am, an adult, married three years, with a wife, making that childlike decision, in childlike in a negative way, not a childlike faith. I'm talking about immature, okay? And I'm like, okay, so if I'm really upset right now, that means I've chosen to be upset, but I don't feel like I've chosen this. I don't feel like I chose to be upset. She says something, and I just respond. It's like automatic. I'm not choosing that. So what's going on here? And then I remembered Dr. Pavlov from Russia. I have a science background. I was pre-med in college. And Dr. Pavlov ran this experiment where he took a dog. I don't know if it was his dog or not. He took a dog, and he would ring a bell. And every time he rang the bell, he gave the dog a treat. And the dog would grab the treat, and he would salivate, and he would eat it, and everything was good. Next day, he would ring a bell, give the dog a treat. I would grab it, salivate, as they do when they're eating food. As all animals do when we eat food, we salivate. And he would do this day after day, week after week. He did it for months. And then one day, he went up, and he rang the bell. The dog came and started salivating without getting a treat. And the next day, he came, and he rang the bell, didn't give him a treat. The dog came and started salivating, as if he were eating food, even though he was not eating food. And so it's called a Pavlovian response after Dr. Pavlov, who proved that you can train animals, including us, to respond even physically to certain stimuli if you condition them over and over and over to associate that stimuli with something else. Okay? And it dawned on me in that moment in my room that I had allowed myself to become conditioned. I was having a Pavlovian response to something because my wife had, in the past, said something and I chose to become annoyed. And then later she said something else that I chose to become annoyed about. And later she said something else and I chose to be annoyed. But it's, it, it's a similar case um, because I chose something and that led to a response. And I chose and I led to a response and I created a habit of choosing something that led to a specific response until eventually it became automatic, okay? And so anyway, that's what I thought about. Not necessarily. Right. Right. I'm sure I'm sure some have. Um, yeah, that would be interesting to look at at some point. Um, the, the benefit for us is that because we're not wild animals, we have a bit more free will. I don't want to say a bit more reason, because when you're in a place where you've been whipped and abused, there might not be a whole lot of reason going on. You might be mostly in reactive mode to save yourself. Um, but in, in, in my experience of that time when I was having this issue with Sarah, I realized that I had created a habit. By choosing over and over again to respond negatively instead of positively, I now was to the point where I automatically responded negatively. I just reacted. I didn't say, did she mean that? Was that bad? Think about it and then decide that she did mean it bad and then decide I was going to be upset. I didn't do that anymore. I just automatically reacted. 
It's like, what, what, what? And I automatically react to the situation because I built a habit. And that's what happens when we form habits. Like, have you, have you ever experienced waking up at the same time every day, and then your alarm doesn't go off, but you wake up anyway, within a few minutes of that same exact time? It's a habit. Even when you're unconscious, you can be trained to do things habitually. And so we have become habitual um, acceptors of a lot of the negative stuff because we habitually accept um, all the stress that our stressful situations bring and jobs bring. And so people don't even realize they have a choice because they're like, but I automatically respond stressful when someone yells at me. Well, but we don't have to. We can break out of those habits. And it takes discipline. It takes a lot of hard work. And so what I did in that, at that experience is I prayed and I said, okay, God, I, I need to repent here. I'm obviously really in the wrong. I need to repent, and I need you to transform me by the renewing of my mind, and I need you to help me to realize when I'm making the wrong decision, making the wrong choices, and help me to make the right ones. And it was hard, and it took work, and it didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't perfect at it, but it only took really a few weeks to get to the point where I was responding properly instead of negatively. And then, in this particular case, once I let all that go to God and I gave all the negative emotion away and I stopped taking in the negative emotion and I uh, gave myself over to the Spirit of God, after about a month or so I realized Sarah was never doing anything wrong in the first place. I was misinterpreting everything. And it was all on me in this case. It's not always all on us. Sometimes the other person actually is genuinely evil or genuinely doing something bad. Or sometimes the situation is genuinely stressful. But in this particular case, it wasn't. She was totally blameless. And I, in my corrupted, unsanctified mind, was misinterpreting things as being negative, choosing to get upset about it, and being upset and all this kind of stuff. So it's super humbling. <laughs> like a really, really humbling experience. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to end here so that we can eat. Because some things are more important than others. No. Um, but what, but what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to end with a little bit of prayer. Can we, can we, will you give me five more minutes? Um, and, then, and then we can go to lunch and fellowship and even keep talking about this if you want to. Um, the, the first thing to do when we realize that in one area or another, we're saying we're allowing our heart to be troubled when Jesus says not to, is to repent of that and to let that go to the Lord. So let's just take a minute to let the Spirit bring to our minds any ways that we're doing the stuff we talked about, ways that we're letting ourselves be worried or stressed out or upset. Let's just let the Spirit bring those to our minds and think about the things in our life that are doing that right now. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer of just repentance for that. You can join me in your heart if you want to agree um, with this prayer. Father, uh, we, we know that anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. And we admit that there have been times that we have done things out of a lack of trust of you. We've, we've chosen to worry about money and be stressed out about a lack of money to do what we need to do. We, we admit that we've been allowed circumstances in our lives to dictate how we respond to things. We, we confess that we've allowed ourselves to become stressed out 
we've allowed our heart to be troubled. We've allowed ourselves to become angry, upset, anxious, worried, fearful. So, Lord, we just confess the times that we've done that. We confess that to you in Jesus' name. And we receive your forgiveness for those things. We receive your forgiveness for all of that in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that through what you did for us on the cross, that forgiveness is always there for us if we confess our sins. He will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we receive your forgiveness and your cleansing in Jesus' name. But we still have these things in our hearts that we've allowed in. And so, Lord, we give them to you. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time he will exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so, Lord Jesus, we cast our anxieties on you right now. All these things that we have allowed in our heart, we unlock that door and we let those things out. I, I'm a visual guy, so I like to picture like an altar with a fire on it, and I, I'm bringing these things out of a room, and I'm just dumping them on the fire, and I'm emptying out my heart of all this negative stuff that I've let in, um, all the things that people have done to me, all the things that I have let myself do, all of my responses, and I just put all those things in the fire. Um, let's, let's just take a moment just to cast our anxieties on him and think about the specific things that you need to give over to the Lord. Now that we've emptied ourselves of all that negative stuff, we need to be filled back up with the presence of God. And if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us. He's right in here in our spirit. Again, I'm visual, so I picture him kind of right in the middle of my chest. And so you can pray this prayer with me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move out from my spirit right now into my soul. And that your peace, God, would start to saturate my mind, my will, my emotions. I picture it like a bubble in the middle getting bigger and bigger and bigger inside of me of peace, pushing out. The world is pushing in and trying to crush me. And now the Holy Spirit is pushing back out from within me. Holy Spirit, fill my soul with your peace. And may it even reach my body, my brain. May I feel that calm, that peace. And when Jesus says peace, shalom means more than just lack of conflict. It means wholeness. It means health, mental, physical, spiritual health. It means joy. It means the presence of God. Shalom is a really big word. And that's what Jesus gives to us. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move through us now like a bubble, filling our entire being with your peace. And help us to learn to live here and to turn to you instead of ourselves. Or to turn to you instead of what we're used to responding, that our response would become habitually good, that when something would happen to us, when someone would say something when, that would norm, used to offend us, that instead we would automatically be filled with the Spirit because we're so used to turning to you in all of those circumstances. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now that's a little liturgy, if you want to call it that, that I go through 
when I'm praying about this kind of stuff. Doesn't mean you have to do it that exact way, but confession, receiving forgiveness, casting your anxieties on him, and practicing peace. Those are the things we need to do. So those things, components need to be involved in there somewhere. Um, years back, I, I was talking to Francis, Francis Vanderpan, who's a te Bible teacher about this, and he was saying how he, at that point, he was at a place where within about two deep breaths, he could go from a bad place to a good place, emotionally, mentally. And at that point, it was taking me like 10 minutes, <laughs> easy. So I was very encouraged that you could get to the place where two, in, you could go from err to ah, oh, shoot. and be filled with the Spirit again. Because being really upset and being filled with the Spirit are very different experiences. And the fact that you could go there that quickly, eventually, with a lot of discipline and a lot of practice, was really encouraging to me um, at that time. So it encouraged me to kind of move, move on in this direction. And I'm not there yet, but, but, uh, but I'm getting there. It, I can't tell you enough how important I think this is. Walking by the Spirit learning to live in peace, learning to transcend our circumstances, I think this is like right up there with the love of God in terms of the power it has over our lives. For me, this has been the most transformative thing in my entire life because I've always been a Christian and I was filled with the Spirit when I was like six. And so I don't really remember Christianity before being filled with the Spirit and after, you know? Um, and so for me, it's this. It's learning to walk in peace, learning to transcend the circumstances, to live from above, however you want to term that, okay? Learning to walk by the Spirit has been the most life-changing thing that I've ever experienced. And I'm sure Sarah could give uh, some testimony of the fact that I'm a lot nicer to live with. I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. My experience of life has certainly greatly improved, but so has other people's experience around me because our choices affect other people. And so not only is peace a way better choice than worry and stress, but we don't want our fruitfulness to be choked off, right? We don't want to be the Israelites in the desert who didn't get to enter the promised land. I want to get to the promised land and fulfill everything God wants me to do. And walking by the Spirit is how we do that. So feel free to ask any more questions, and we can continue the conversation. Um, but he who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you could ever ask for or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, we